Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. excited about our summer series. It, it's, it's as, as Tyler mentioned, it's July. It's, what, is this July-uary? Is that what you call this? It's like, we're hopefully going to get some good weather coming here um, because you got to have good weather to blow stuff up, don't you, this week? If you're wondering about the old fireworks tent, like who let them put that there? Actually, I did. And uh, with that is the reality is like the church actually is renting their par- our, our parking lot. And so this is, a, it's a wonderful fundraiser. We're not doing anything. We're just collecting a check and then they're, they're doing it over there. But you know, to con- continue to bless these people, if you're going to buy fireworks, go buy it there. That would, that'd be great to support them, what they're doing. Uh, you might also notice that I'm, I'm dressed up a little bit more beyond my good jeans I'm wearing today because we got a wedding today. In fact, we got a wedding right after this service. These, these folks over here, Andrew, Chef, and Vanessa Trans are getting married today, right after the service. We're excited. Now, a lot of people know you, and they're, they're going to be here for that, but is it okay if people don't know you? Can they come? They, they're giving permission. You could crash their wedding today if you wanted to. If you ever wanted to crash a wedding, this is the day. So they're going to have a ceremony, have a reception afterwards right here, have some Great time, celebrate with them. They got a crazy redemptive story. We were sharing the ceremony. It's really, really cool. So we're, that's going to be fun today. But before we get that, we're going to jump in our message. As I mentioned, we're doing this, this We Believe series. Uh, and, and really, our goal with this is, and I, I hope you get around this, that it's not just kind of this you know, lofty kind of what we believe up here kind of thing. But really, it's about how we can unify together in what we believe. Because when we can rally around what we're about, what we believe, then we actually could go, okay, this is what we're holding to. This is our convictions. And so we can reach out in our community and, and those that, that need to know Jesus. And so as we do this, we're going, we're going what, do we, what do we believe? But I want to make sure as we go through this, my heart and passion for this series is not just what we believe, but why we believe it. Why do we believe it? <clears throat> I found this as, Growing up, and I had kind of interesting kind of church background. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you are new to the faith later on in your life. But there's times when you ask the question, okay, this is what we believe. Okay, but well, why? But why do we believe this? And what I've found that's kind of interesting is when you ask why sometimes, maybe back when you were a kid, there was almost kind of a sense that you're being disrespectful. They're like, well, why ask why? We're, this is what we're believing. This is what we believe as a church or family or denomination. This is, what we, this is what we claim to believe. But we go, well, why, mom, dad? Why, Sunday school teacher? Why, pastor? Why, youth leader, do we believe this? And it comes off the reaction is a bit negative. I think a lot of it has the fact that those people, hopefully some of them didn't know why they believe that, but they really didn't give good, clear answers. And so there's almost insecurity in the responses there. And so it becomes a threat. And so many times for a lot of people, the why questions didn't get answered. And as they go through adolescence and then they begin to formulate what they hold to and believe, and they, they have a lot of 
holes in their understanding of things, real life hits, and of course the choices we make in life can, can cause us then to drift away. And, and so many times today, many people, they, you know, that what they believe of Christian values or Christian principles are kind of almost old-fashioned. They're kind of not even relevant today, and yet they're, they're very, very important and very relevant. So we believe series is asking why, because asking why, it helps us find the origin of truth. Now, come on, if there's anything that we're struggling in our culture today is understanding what truth is. We have the cries of fake news. We have, you know, big blow-ups on Twitter. Uh, you, watch, you watch the news and you flip on one channel and they're talking on the issue and a perspective. And then you flip to the next channel and it's completely different perspective. You're going, I have no idea who to even believe in any what's going on. And much of this is grown, we're growing in this age of relativism, and there's chaos and confusion, and even it, it, it trickles down into some of the smartest and brightest potential people that we have. It's actually even into our, our colleges and our system. And so what we're going to watch here in a moment is you're going to see this kind of lived out, is an interview of University of Washington students. And when you watch this, I want you to listen to this not just on the topic, because that's not what we're going to talk about, about what the topic is, because it's controversial, but really looking at the facial expressions and looking at the, just the body language of not just what they say, but how they respond to these questions they're asked. Take a look at this. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether you're sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'd be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I'd say, good for you, like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you, no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society, 
and you're not causing harm to other people. I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. Now, hear my heart on this. This is not about gender neutral bathrooms. That's not what we're talking about today. We're actually talking about finding truth. And it's amazing. Some of them were able to kind of you, you formulate, well, right, wrong, what, you know, opinion of that. But they couldn't, they could, no one could really give a straight answer. No one could really say, no, dude, you are a 5'9 white guy. You are not a 6'5 Chinese woman, 7-year-old Chinese woman, right? There just, there comes a place for that. And I was thinking if we, and this is, this is a lie, this, and this is the danger of it. It's this. When we stand for nothing, we fall for anything. It's true. When we stand for nothing, we really can end up falling for anything. That's the world we live in. And that's, that's the reality of, uh, of the fact that in the, our broken world, and I think some of you would say amen to that. Some of you would say out of your convictions back in the day when you maybe, in fact, didn't have them, that you suffered the consequences not standing for your convictions. That you went down the path of poor choices and dysfunction and confusion and brokenness and shame because, and even addiction because you, you didn't stand up for what you hold to and what you, you claim to. Because deep down what we believe will be the conviction reflected in what we do. I can, I can say and have inspiration that I want to eat healthy and be a healthy person. But unless I have a deep down soul conviction that I'm going to do, I'm, I'm not going to make that lifestyle choice. It's the same way, it's the same way spiritually for us. And, 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 it's, and what I'm about to say is something very, never thought it would be 10 years ago, but it's very controversial to our current culture. And it's this, there's such a thing called absolute truth. That's actually pretty controversial to say that. There's such a thing as absolute truth. And this is what absolute truth is. It's this, something is true for all people of all places and all times. Something that's true, we're going to put that up there. For all people, for all places and all times. So I mean, like, that's, yeah, like, that's ab the absolute truth. Gravity is, is a great example. As much as you want to try to defy gravity, you'll die, okay? That's just the reality of it. You could try to jump off an air, out of an airplane without a parachute, because, well, I don't really believe it. No, it's, that's the reality of it. And the same thing with moral truth. I don't think anybody's going to argue this room, and I don't think there's too many people arguing in the world that murder's wrong, that abusing a child is, is wrong, right? There's moral truth that we have. 
Now it's interesting, what, what is truth? Webster defined truth this way. Truth is what has fidelity to the original. Now how do we get back to the original? Well, the, the original isn't, isn't what you think it is, what I think it is. It goes back to what it is. What, what truly is the original? Well, what's so wonderful, and back to what we believe, is the fact that there, we've been given the original. We've been given truth to the original that we're going to look at here today. But here's the thing, though. We could search in our confusing world, and it's easy to blame for truth that we don't know truth through because of our culture and the media, our, our school system, our government. But where do we find the identity, value, common sense, logic, right and wrong, moral compass? Where does it come from? Well, you know, some people, well, it comes from here. It comes from the, well, how did it work for those college students? How does it work in your life if you're always searching here and you're lost here? No, it comes back to here. It comes back to you. What do we hold to? That, that there's truth outside of ourselves that's really back to the original of what the plan is. See, Jesus said this. He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And on the opposite, if you don't know the truth, what happens? It leaves to imprisonment, bondage, and you're trapped. What are you trapped by? You're trapped by your own opinions and the opinions of others. We begin to... We, believe, and Taryn hit on worship, there's a false narrative that we begin to believe about ourselves, and shame, and regret, and all those negative emotions come in eventually, because we're, we're trusting in our, in our own feelings, and others' feelings around us. And so, this is our culture that we live in, and so, but before we blame anybody else, we have to look within. So interesting, when it comes to truth, in the American Church culture, Larry did a fabulous job last week. So grateful for Larry's great gift to our church here. He communicated this. He, he talked about, just for briefly, he talked about the, our American church culture and what we believe. And really, the reality is what we don't believe and, and hold to. See, I came across this article, The Scandal of Biblical Literacy is Our Province. It's addressing the American church. Now, listen to these statistics, and keep in mind this is church people. Some of it's kind of scary. Some of it's kind of hilarious, actually. Um, the first, they, they found this, that about half of adults in church in America, half of them can only tell you the, 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 the names of the Gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? They, half people don't, don't know them. They say 60% of American Christians can't name the five of the Ten Commandments. And then this was interesting. 82% of, of Christian Americans believe this statement. God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. 82%. I know we're much smarter than that. Some of you are like, oh, I, it's not in the Bible? No, it's not a Bible verse. It's not a Bible verse. This one's kind of hilarious. It wasn't a lot of people, but 12% of Christian American adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. I think that was pretty good right there. That's scary. Actually, what's scary is 50% of high school Christian seniors believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were a husband and a wife. So, yes. And so this is the article at the end. It says we're in big trouble. And the reason we're in big trouble is not because you can't name all the Gospels, not because you can't spell Habakkuk or say Habakkuk. It, it really comes down to if you don't know the truth, you can't be set free from the truth. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you don't know the truth, you can't live in the truth. It's that Christ the King, and this is what we're going to talk about. What do we believe? Why we believe what we believe? But this is what we believe. This is our statement of faith when it comes to Scripture. 
This is what we believe. We believe this, that the scriptures, both the Old and New Testament, are the inspired word of God without error in the original writings. The Bible is the complete revelation of God's will for salvation of mankind and the divine and final authority for Christian faith in life. And I know that's a mouthful, but it's really this, that the Bible is the infallible, it's the inspired word of God. Infallible means without error. Inspired means God breathed. God breathed. Scripture says, Second uh, Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. God had a group of people, Peter talks about this, where men, says they're carried on by the Holy Spirit, wrote down the words that God wanted us to know today. And that we have those. And there's purpose for them. And so you think about this teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. Think about it this way. It's like us going on a trail. And we're understanding as we're going along. And picture on this trail that teaching is this. Teaching of scripture is this. It's saying this is the right path to go. This is the direction to go. Rebuking, you know what the word rebuking means? It really is just saying, hey, you're on the wrong path. That's the wrong way. Correcting is this. Correcting is this. This is the right path to get back to, to be on, to get back on. And then training is say, hey, this is how you stay on the path, the right path to go. God has given us his word to help us in such practical ways for our lives. But understand when we say it's infallible, inspired word of God, that it's true all the way through. There's not parts of it or nah, not so much, and this one is. And, and, and granted, at times, I, I, when I read, if you have a Bible that has the red letters of Jesus' words, those are pretty cool to have, right? Those are important, but all of it is important that we, believe, that we have. But here's the really basic, obvious question that you could go year in, year out, sunny after sunny, and really not... Make sure you ask yourself this question. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? Do you really believe that the Bible is, in fact, the very word of God? Because if, 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 you, if you don't, that's a really shaky ground in your life and where you're at. So it's a really, really good question. Do you believe that the, that's the Bible? And why? Again, asking why is so important. Because we all have to deal with our doubts. Here's the fact is this. All of us have doubts. Either you grew up in church and you get, didn't get those questions answered, or you're new to the faith, or you might be here and you're just kind of checking out Christianity. You're, you're just kind of exploring. You're not really sure where you land when it comes to your belief in Christ. The reality is all of us have doubts. I have doubts. It's okay to doubt. You're thinking, is it? It is. It's okay to doubt. It's what you do with those doubts. I can't live with doubts. I have to get them answered myself. I wouldn't want to dedicate my entire life to something like, ah, I don't really know for sure. I would want to know. I would want to search. I would understand. And so what I'm going to share you, it's going to, it might be a little heady for, you know, today on a Sunday morning. Almost could sound maybe kind of an intro seminary class at a Bible college. But I want you to listen to this because I want to give you a little bit of tools to take with you. Go, hmm, I can have some confidence and really truly believe in God's word. And if there's naysayers out there, you run into, I can't believe the Bible. It's just a bunch of made up words. But somebody, somebody out there, made, here is some help for you to help with your doubts and maybe the doubts of other people. And so to do this, I have some burning questions. They're very, very basic questions. How did we get the Bible? How do we trust the Bible has not changed over time? And why was it written to us? Those are questions I wanted 
explore here today. And I really want to set the precedent for us in this entire series that we're going through. Because everything else, we're building on the Bible. We're building from it. But we need to know that foundation is there. So how did we get the Bible? You ever thought, like, how did we end up getting this? How did this happen? Well, some of you already know. You know enough about the Bible that there's 66 books. There's the Old Testament, New Testament. There's Old Testaments before Jesus. New Testament including when Christ came and, and, and beyond. It was written over 1,500 years. So the span of the actual writing of it, 40 different authors, 40 different generations, three continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa, the Bible is written from. Three different languages. There's Hebrew, Old Testament, and the New Testament's Greek, but there's also Aramaic. Jesus spoke, as it was a common day vernacular, Aramaic. It was just the, the language they used. And there's times where even Jesus, even on the cross, used Aramaic in his explanation uh, his, 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 what he said his last words. What's amazing about all of that, all the v- diversity of how the Bible came together is that there's the continuity. It's pretty amazing how it all fits together. The, the Old Testament and, and then the New Testament fulfills it. And even Jesus himself, the prophecies about Jesus, there's about 300 of them. And they all came true already about Jesus. 100 of them came in one day toward the, his crucifixion. They're saying of the prophecies, of the 300 prophecies, they said it, it, the odds of them, it's one trillion in the 13th power that they could come true. And they, they did. Very amazing. It's a miraculous work of God's story, his story to us. And it's, that's what's so crazy about it. Now you think about this, of how it's all come together. How did it come together? How did we get what we have here? Well, it happened in about the 4th century. So, 325 was about the date. There was this council that got together, and they formed what's called the canon. And a canon means a rule or measuring stick. Like, how do we know what goes in the Bible? Now, already the the, the believers had the Old Testament. And we'll talk here in a moment how that was preserved. They had the Old Testament. They had really what Jesus had when he was was on this earth. So that wasn't really argued about. But what about the New Testament writings? What about the writings of... What the, the account of Jesus, which were these gospels and these other writings of the different early church fathers, what do we do with those? And so what they did was prayerfully and painstakingly, they came upon and asked these four basic questions. Really, really simple questions is who actually wrote it? Who, what's the authorship? Meaning who originally, was it some of the early apostles? Was it some of their companions that wrote it down for them? Who accepted it? Who actually was in the churches, in the Christian community, that this is something that they have? And then who's actually using it? Because they would pass around these different writings and, and they would circulate them. That you know, There was the scrolls and things. There wasn't a printing press. But who's actually reading publicly in, in, this, in their gatherings together? And then what does it actually say? Which is a pretty obvious question. How does it theologically line up with all the other writings? I mean, there's, the, there's this book that was included called The Gospel of Thomas. And it, Gospel of Thomas has Jesus, um, Jesus like turning one of his friends when he was a kid into a bird or something like that. And like, okay, that's not, that's a little weird, okay? So they, they line up all the things that line up that's, that's consistent in Scripture. And so that's what they, that's how we got the Bible today. I just thought that would be helpful for you to know that. But what, here's the thing, is it reliable? Because isn't there that, that, you know, that whole 
uh, idea like, well, you know, people wrote it down and then they passed the next person. Then there's another version of that and it got copied and changes. You ever played the telephone game? We were with a group of friends the other night and we played the telestrations. You ever played that game before where you write a word and you draw it and the next, then they, they try to guess what you drew and the next person guesses what you wrote and it goes around and like, this is not, we said fruit stand and how, we got bikini at the end. How did that happen, right? That's, that's literally what happened in the one game. Like, okay, this got weird real quick. And I, what we found out was is that we think and sometimes that's kind of how that's how it that's how that happened in the Bible and that's kind of that's I would just be call you out it's ignorant to know that because actually the Bible was preserved do you know the Jewish people are so amazing that with the Old Testament they were meticulous they were meticulous of making sure what they have to the very if you ever heard the dot and tittle that's where they get the those are little words or little uh, markers of indication of of language that's where that came from that came from because they're so precise. And they say that they followed 4,000 rules as scribes. Little boys were raised up. Their life calling was to copy scripture. And they went, when they did that, it was so amazing. It was such a discipline, art, and science to do that. Do you know what they would do is they would copy not just word for word back and forth. They would copy letter for letter. Even spelling the word the, even they think, well, I've got that down. They would copy, they see the T, write the T, go back, line up H and H and E and E. They were so precise in how they did that. Every column had to line up, every, every, every page had to line up. And, and even when it came to the name of God, Elohim, the Lord, when you see in the Old Testament, L-O-R-D, capitalized Elohim, they would, they would drop everything and they would change clothes and they wash their hands and then they would write with a different pen, a different you know, writing instrument, the name of God. Aren't you amazed by that? Aren't you amazed that God and all his foresight preserved the word that we have? Now you think about the New Testament. Well, the New Testament, they, they had manuscripts. There were writings that they had, and they passed it on. It was passed on, it was passed on, but it was preserved. And what they had, it was a lot, there was a lot more copies of that. But what they found, it was the frequency and, and the, the amount of manuscripts helped them to go verify that we do have what is the, now the New Testament. So they lined up, and if you had more of the same thing, you're going, that's accurate, because it says here, it says here, it says here, it says here. And so what's interesting is, in these manuscripts, that how many more of those New Testament manuscripts we have compared to other works of ancient antiquity? And I want you to take a look at this. I think this is really kind of, and you can kind of geek out on some of this stuff, but the work of antiquity, there's Plato and Aristotle and Homer. You've already read those and fell asleep in class when you read some of those in high school. But look at these, the surviving manuscripts. And then look at the New Testament. And that's an old number. I should, change, should have changed that. I think it's 35 to 40,000 they've discovered. I was over in Israel and someone just went and went, saw the Dead Sea Scrolls and they, they found more of the Isaiah 53 and like, wow, there's even more that lines up to the Bible. Do you get that? The reliability of scripture that we have. Now you're thinking, gosh, we don't really question what Plato said or Homer said, or what we never really question any of that. And the reason we don't, because a lot of but a lot of people question the validity of scripture. Why do we do that? Well, Plato didn't save anybody, right? Um, Homer, I mean, yeah, it was a great philosopher, but he didn't save any, he, he, no, he, it was he didn't transform a soul those writings, but the Bible does. And I think what happens is people will try to give a lot of excuses to dismiss the Bible because, oh, it's made up and it was changed over time. Because if you truly come to the place and go, wow, what we have today was what, what the original was, 
then you got to do something with it. Then you're accountable to that. Maybe people don't want to be. And so they dispute it and refute it. But here's the thing. God's word doesn't go away. Because it's not just the written word. There's a word called logos. It's, I know I'm getting geeky on some of this stuff. Greek, the Greek word logos means a living word. And when Jesus says this, he says that, that um, his word will never pay. When heavens and earth pass away, his word will never pass away. That is continually growing. And it's so fascinating how science lines up with the Bible too. Because the, the, several years ago, the, they, in, during the, the usage of the Hubble telescope, where they went out in the outer skirts of our, of our solar system, and they began to gaze into the universe, what they discovered was this, is the universe is expanding. Just kind of like you drop a rock in the pond and it kind of ripples out, that the universe is doing it. What is that saying is when God spoke, let there be light at the beginning of creation, it's still being created. Let there be light, 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 let there be light. light. That God's word is still speaking. Isn't that powerful? God is still at work and he's still, it's a living, growing, active word that's for our lives. Now here's the question then, the third question then is this, okay? So we can believe it, trust in it, historical accuracy, but why do we have the Bible? Why do we have it? Why does it need to be written down? Well, here's the thing. All of us have learned something when somebody said, hey, you might want to write this down. This is important. Remember, that's what God said. Write down. This is important for you to write this down. He said to the ancient people of Israel, to write his word down. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What he's saying is this, is that the Bible, just because you have a copy of it, you don't just leave it on the coffee table. We're going to incorporate it in our lives. It's a wonderful tool. It's life for us to have and to talk about it and share about it and discuss it with one another. And and as we grow together and understand what we believe, what we hold to, to know it, to remember it. So I encourage us this summer, let's have conversations about it. When we're walking along with our family and when we're on a road trip, on a vacation, Let's talk about God's word. Maybe pop it in as an audio to listen to and in the car, ways to get God's word in there. It's not just a historical book. It's the book of life for us. And as we're coming around this theme of what we believe, we need to go back to the source of what we believe in, in Scripture. And I thought in the, in the unity for us together, it would be wonderful. What if we read the Bible together this summer? specifically through the month of July. And so in your programs, just as a Bible, we've done this a few years ago with the book of John. Eventually, we'll probably do another book of the Bible. But we broke down the book of John in 31 days. What's today? July 1st? There's 31 days in July. What if we all started today, go home sometime today, read John 1, 1 through 28 today. And then what would be cool is like several other people will be doing it as well. And then we all come back together where we have some conversations about the book of John. We can go, wow, we're reading the Bible, we're reading truth together. Wouldn't it be great to unify together? So the Bible is so powerful. And why was it written? It is, it is to transform our lives. Now, in your outline, we ran out of time. I was very uh, ambitious this week, putting off a, a message together. There's so much more I want to cover. But I gave you different kinds of 
descriptions of the Bible, there's so many of them, like that the Bible is a weapon, the Bible, the Word of God is a surgeon's scalpel, the Word is a light, the Word is seed. The Word, though, I want to close with is this. When we're reading the Bible, we're reading through the book of John, I want to challenge us to this. The Word is Jesus. The very beginning, today you'll read that if you start today, in John 1, 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word is Jesus. He's the living Word. It's embodied in Him. And the embodiment of truth, if you're looking for truth, truth is not a principle. Ultimately, biblical truth is a person. And if you're trying to understand who God is and read, don't just read about him, get to know him. Get to know Jesus. Jesus is the one. He is what? The way, the truth, and the life. He said, know the truth, and, and the truth will set you free. And we need to realize this, the truth is staring us right in the face. And I want to give you that picture of that because there's a moment of truth that happened for one man. See, Jesus, all through his ministry, he proclaimed the truth. He spoke of the kingdom because he's a king. In fact, the reason he was put to death, because he claimed to be king. You see that little sign above the cross. We talked about this before. That, that little sign when criminals were, were executed, was it told what, who they were and the crime that they had. And then one that says that Jesus Nazareth, king of the Jews. He's, he was killed to be because he claimed to be king, the king of be God. And so he's standing before one man who's about to condemn him to death, a guy named Pontius Pilate. This is him and Jesus. You almost picture like two boxers before they're going to fight, nose to nose. You picture that? Jesus and Pontius Pilate. And, and Pontius Pilate says this. He says, you are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came to this world is to testify to the truth. Truth, the truth that he's king. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Here is Pilate's response. And it circles way back to the beginning we talked about. He asked this question. Our culture is asking this question. Our world's asking this question. What is truth? And Pilate, Pilate didn't realize it, that truth was staring him right in the face. How we can miss the obvious. Because right after that, Pilate has him sent away. He's arrested and flogged and crucified. It's a rhetorical question that he asked. Didn't want to know the answer, apparently. He didn't realize it. Well, it was the fact that truth the person. The truth is Jesus. So I really encourage you when we go through the book of John, I and mean, we're not going to really talk much on Sundays about it, but as we read it together throughout the week, when you read that account, you're looking in the face of Jesus. The Bible says this, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. The truth truth staring right at us, that we would intently each and every day look in the face of Jesus as we read and know the truth, because the truth truly is what will set us free. Set us free to know who we are. Set us free that, that, that how we fit in this world. Set us free to know our purpose and the greatest potential we have in our, in our lives. To study it, to know it, to know the truth. The truth is embodied in Jesus, 
Jesus is the word of truth. Will you pray with me? I'm going to invite our team to come as we bow here this morning. And as they come, can you picture with me a moment for you? And it's not just a one-time moment. Pilate only had that one moment with Jesus. What's so powerful is that each and every one of us now, the spirit of Christ on this earth, that we can look in, the, in, in deeply in the, in the face of Jesus himself right now, in each and every day. And I want to pray a prayer for us that we would get passionate about this. That we would get passionate about that when we read the Bible, that when we read truth, and, and I hope today for you that a little kind of peppered you a little bit, and maybe you'll go on Google and search a little bit more, and I can give you resources of ways to kind of know and understand the validity and the history of, of Scripture. But understand when you read the Bible, that you're looking intently in the face of Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray that we can have this encounter this summer, that we not lax in our, in our disciplines and just kind of throw out all that out. Because guess what? When we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. Let's not throw the summer away. Let's, let's take the summer and say, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look deeply and intently in the eyes of our Lord and our Savior, the very truth. That's Jesus. Lord, we pray that. We pray as we begin this the summertime, summer that we have that's so filled with fun and the sun and excitement and all that we're going to be doing, and even this next week as we, man, we celebrate our freedom, both in today, as, as in Canada Day and Independence Day, coming up Wednesday, Lord, we celebrate the freedom, Lord, that you gave us politically in our nation, Lord, God. But Lord, we celebrate spiritual freedom because we can know the truth and the truth that can set us free. And God, I pray that we would fall in love with your word because we're falling in love with you. But Lord, when we read, as we know that the, the, the word became flesh and dwelled among us, that Lord, you sit right with us and you're, you're, we're staring at you face to face as we read of who you are and what you did for us. Lord, I pray your truth would go deep within our souls, that they would be personified in us and through us, Lord God. I pray that your word would saturate us in such a way that when we're faced with lies, when we're faced with condemnation and shame and regrets of the past, that we'll know the truth. And we'll know to combat the truth with, 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 against the lies. When we're faced with condemnation, Lord, we can claim there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we can know that truth and it brings freedom in our lives and brings, it brings this incredible change that transforms us, Lord God. So help us this summer as we do this series, Lord, we trust in this amazing, miraculous preservation of your word. But Lord, may we not hog it, Lord. I pray that we would take it, Lord. Now we're responsible all these, all these generations have preserved it for us. Now we have the next generation to pass it on to. Lord, we can't pass it on until we know it, Lord. So help us, Lord, to do that, I pray, God. And that, Lord, we can leave from this place celebrating your word, knowing your word that brings change in our lives and the people that we invest in as well. We pray this.